Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the Jayberg Wilk Learning Series for 2018-2019. I'm Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion. But we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybaitmadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. Kabbalah, it means to receive. It's the receiving of the secret tradition, the oral tradition in Judaism. Uh, there are four dimensions to learning in Judaism. One is pshat, the literal studying of the text. Uh, remez is the hints that you find in the text. Drash is the homiletical, ethical statements. And sod is the secret uh, traditions, the, the imaginative and things that were not publicly broadcast because, until you were worthy of taking them in, not for an ego uh, trip, but truly to get close to God. Because some people want to study what they call Kabbalistic magic so that they can control the universe or, or they can feel secure. That's not what true Kabbalah is. That's why they said you could only start studying it when you were 40 years old uh, so that you move away from your ego aggrandizement to searching for meaning. 40 in the Jewish tradition, the mem is the t minimum time for ripening. The Jews were 40 years in the desert. Moses was 40 years at Mount Sinai. It says in the Talmud that the fetus uh, at 40 uh, uh, days becomes a, a human. So um, is there anyone below 40 here? We have to take them out. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's, it's, it's this uh, oral tradition. And some people say it goes all the way back to Adam, or Abram, Abraham Avinu. The first book, really, that was recorded uh, was uh, called the Sefer Yitzirah, the Book of Creation. It's anywhere between the third and sixth century. The fact that it was oral, it's hard to really date some of these things and, and know the sources of them. But people, uh, there's a virtue in things remaining oral. Then they're not fixed. When something is fixed and written down, you rarely read it. You know, Shmuley was asking me, what am I reading lately? And I was, I was trying to trying to remember, because so much of my teaching lately has been oral, you know, instead of, instead of written. The, uh, there's much to cover. We'll do as much as we can. You have notes, so if I don't cover that, you could look at other things. But let me start, and some of the things you won't find in, in, in that. What I want to first explain to you is <clears throat> how the spiritual tradition in Judaism is defined. Firstly, what is the sense, the sense of the four senses, which is the sense that is most spiritually uh, elevating. The rabbis say it's a sense of hearing. In America we say seeing is believing, but in Judaism we say hearing, understanding, is what you have to get to. Uh, we say Shema Yisrael, hear O Israel, listen O Israel, the Lord our God is the Lord. Quiet down the chatter in your mind, you have to get to another space within the self in order to be connected to the inner world of God and to the outer world of God. So <clears throat> one of the major books uh, so that was the third, the sixth century. Then, there, there were, the, then in the thirteenth century, there was uh, the Jews in, in 
France and in Spain, Guadalajara and in, in, uh, in Provence, Spain, uh, there were books written down, the Bahir and, and, and others. Then in the, uh, at the end of the 13th century, the Zohar was written down. Uh, some say uh, Shimon Bar Yochai wrote it uh, early on in, uh, he, during the Talmudic period, but most scholars say it was Moshe de Leon. He may have taken oral traditions from Shimon Bar Yochai. This is the classic book of Jewish mysticism, the Zohar. And then finally, in the 16th century, when the Jews were expelled from Spain in 1492, they began to go to northern Italy, and then they went to Israel, Tzvat, Safed, was a place of, of the great renaissance of, uh, of um, Kabbalah for the Jews. The non-Jews uh, also, Kabbalah spread about between the 13th and 15th century in the Italian Renaissance, and people like Pickett, Del Mirandola, Jacob Ruchlin studied it and, and felt uh, an affinity also to, through Christianity, what they discovered in the Kabbalah. If you ever go into a mystical bookstore, I don't know if they have them here in Phoenix, they have, they have in, in LA, they used to have the Bodhi Tree and others, but you'll see three spellings of the Kabbalah. If you get a book starting with a K, that's the Hebrew Kabbalah. If you have a book, a book starting with a C, that's the Christian Kabbalah. If you have a book starting with a Q, that's the magical Kabbalah, the, the, uh, where they kind of bastardized Kabbalah by taking it literally and thinking they could actually control the universe by doing these kinds of machinations. That wasn't the intent of it. So, um, so Shema, listen. So the Tikkuni Zohar says <clears throat> that there were two creations. The first word in the Bible is Bereshit, Bet Reshit, two beginnings. So they say the first creation was a creation of sound where uh, it's one of the Midrashim say that, that Adam heard the sound of God walking in the garden, meaning that uh, they were so spiritually uplifted at that time, so connected to God, that they actually heard, they understood, uh, and, and, and were connected in that way. Then, as history continued, we'll soon see uh, when there was a break, when there was eviction from the Garden of Eden, there was a reduction in the creation, and it became the creation of words, of, of Baruch Shamar Baha'ya Olam, blessed is the one who spoke and created the world. And we have uh, the, the written Torah. But that's actually a reduction in intensity, intensity of spirituality. Um, and um, <clears throat> we'll explain why. Because the written word, when we, when we name something, we're objectifying it. We don't really know it as intimately as if you really hear, hear someone or feel, feel heard. So, so we, have to, we have to get intimate and connect it to others in order to really have a dialogue that, that is edifying. But if we train our ability to listen, we can get connected to God. Say Shema Yisrael. When was the second time where the Jews re reached that level? That was at Mount Sinai. It says <clears throat> that their, their Shmiya was like Riyah and the Riyah was like Shmiya, that their hearing was like seeing and the seeing was like hearing. Because the, the highest sense in the spiritual world is hearing. The highest sense in the physical world is seeing. Seeing is believing. They were on a level where they, their hearing was so sharp as if they saw God. But their ego, their bodies were so weak at that time uh, that, uh, that, their hear, that their seeing was very weak. It was almost like hearing in the, in the material world. Because God it was so, such a powerful experience 
that they, they were losing their souls, that was going up to God. And what they heard was, says the Midrash, only the first letter of the Ten Commandments. What's the first letter? Ah, Anochi, I am the Lord. So they heard, ah, they didn't hear any content. They just heard God's presence. The content Moses wrote down because Moses said, stop, their, their souls are leaving, they're dying. You know. Why were they on that level at that point in time? Because it says, and they dwelt as one at the foot of the mountain. It says, Vayichan Ha'am. It says in the singular, and they camped, rather than Vayachanu in the plural. The rabbis say, because they were so connected to one another at that time, that they, there was love going on, uh, so that they were worthy of hearing God again in that way. Um, so, love, love, love. And uh, in, 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 in in, we'll learn in the Kabbalah, there's a thing with the Hebrew letters that have numbers attached to them. It's a thing called numerology, gematria in Hebrew. So the word for one, echad, is 13. Aleph is one, chet is eight, and, and dalet is four, is 13. The word for love is ahava, is 13. Aleph is one, he is five, vet is two, and he is five, is 13. So they were in such oneness, such loveliness, so they were with Zohar, they merited to hear God, to hear that. Uh, when are the other times uh, we, we reach that level? Um, one, when we're in love, we lose our minds, or we, we just get our hearts, our souls uh, take over, or when we're uh, dying in deathbed, then all the chatter goes away, the ego's attenuated, you get connected to the soul. So uh, the Zohar says that we're in a state of bifurcation at this point in time. We're not connected in the way we were. And they say, though, that that is actually a blessing. It's good. Because um, the desire to go back to the garden is really, uh, it's really a naive consciousness. It's a, it's a way to escape from life. This is a world of duality. God planned it that way to evict us from the garden so that we could go through a state of individuation, uh, integrate ourselves and come back to the garden with a conscious unity, not a naive unity. So, um, so we'll soon see how the Kabbalah is built on, uh, on breaking downs of vessels and return to, 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 to the unity that was primor primordial, the primordial unity. So um, let, me, let me illustrate it with, with three s short stories as to how we are taught to see and to hear in the Kabbalah to get connected to the soul. There's a classic uh, Kabbalistic story by Eliyahu Vidas in the 15th century. It's called The Princess at the Lake. There was once a poor person who was going through a, 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 a town and saw a lake, saw a beautiful woman bathing in the lake. And he was very taken, taken by her. And it turned out that she was a princess. He was a very impoverished man. Uh, and he couldn't control himself. When she came out, he, he ran over to her. He said, I, I'm really taken with you. Is there any way, way where we can meet? And she was very flattered, but she, she knew that they had uh, such a different social strategy. She said that the only place we can meet is in the cemetery, meaning that when, when they're dead, when they're alive, it's just impossible. But he took it literally. So he sold all his possessions, and he went to the cemetery to wait for her. Um, she, she, and he, he couldn't stop thinking about her, the light and the beauty uh, of her presence. 
And um, a week passed, and uh, he was waiting. He said, well, she's a princess. She must be very busy with, with her things. Uh, a few months passed. Uh, she didn't come. He felt she probably was off on a journey to another country. But when he was in the cemetery, and he never forgot her, her life, it was in the cemetery. When people come to the cemetery, what do they do? They talk about death, the meaning of life. Uh, and he began to listen. He began to think about that. And his connection to the light uh, that he experienced from this princess, uh, it was so intense that, that it, it uh, became part of his soul. He became enlightened. People began to notice him at the cemetery, and they began to ask him questions. And lo and behold, he always had the right spiritual answer for them. So he had a reputation. He was known as the tzaddik in the cemetery. So uh, after a few years, um, the woman, uh, the princess, uh, got married, and, uh, but she was barren. And she heard of uh, this tzaddik this, in the cemetery, so she decided to go to ask for a blessing. So as soon as she, she went and she came there, he recognized her. He recognized her. He said to, to her, all that I have today is a result of our meeting you know, years ago, that, that the, the light that I imbibed from you, the desire that I had from you, I, I lost myself, I lost my ego, and I was just connected to my soul. You know? um, so the, the Kabbalists teach us from this that uh, in order for us to become soul-enlightened, we have to move from looking at the outer form, because at first he was just looking at her beauty, to seeing the inner soul in a person. And when we're on that path, uh, uh, that, that, that we can't turn back from something like, like it's a love thing, uh, the desire is so strong that it attracts the energy from the upper world to meet us, that God wants us to love them, says, do di livani lo. If we really want God and desire God, God will manifest in some way in our lives. Well, it doesn't mean the God up there, it could be the God in there. Uh, the, the same teaching we find in the Torah when it says, <clears throat> when, when the ark is built in the temple, it says, where does God dwell? God dwells not in the ark itself, but between the cherubim, the two cherubim that face each other on top of the ark. That's where God dwells. And the rabbis ask why. And they say, it's, I don't know if you ever read, read Keats' Ode on a Grecian Urn, you know, when, when the two lovers are, are, are apart, but they can't ever... So, yeah, yeah. So, um, so the rabbis say that God dwells in desire. The desire that they have for, for each other is so powerful, it attracts some energy because it's a love desire. They, they love, want to create intimacy and, and love each other. That's where God enters. God doesn't enter the ark itself that's, that's fixed and doesn't move, but, but God is attracted to that energy. So, so this parable teaches us how to see, how to see within uh, and, and not be distracted, and how to, um, to attract uh, energy in that way. There's a, just, just two more very brief stories uh, about the, how, do we, how, how do we get connected to God uh, in the Kabbalistic sphere. One is we have to attenuate the ego. If the ego distracts us, all our worries, all our fears, all our anxieties get so caught up in it that we don't focus our energy, uh, let's say, in nature, the beauty of nature, or the beauty of a song, or the beauty, beauty of our beloved, or the beauty of, of every day we wake up with gratitude to all the blessings that we have in life. We get 
distracted, and it's basically because we're chasing, chasing ego proclivities. So there's a story called the Hasidim. By the way, the Hasidim are the uh, inheritors of, of the Kabbalistic way of being, but they simplify it uh, in, in many ways. So there's a Hasidic story about uh, a Rebbe who was famous in, in Poland because he was able to, even during the snowy winter, walk up an icy mountain and not fall down. So there were two graduate students from the United States who came and they said, this can't be. We want to do our dissertation and disprove this. You know. So they came and they went to the town. They interviewed the Hasidim and they said, uh, is it true that the Rebbe can walk up the mountain like that? And they said, it's true. But they didn't want to answer many more questions because they realized he was coming really to diss them and to, to de depreciate what they were doing. So they said, OK, well, we'll try it ourselves. And they uh, went up the mountain, tried to, it was snowing, it was icy, they went up, they got about uh, 50 feet, and each of them tumbled down. Uh, one broke his arm, one broke his leg, they wound up in the hospital. And the Hasidim, who were doing good deeds, they went to visit them in the hospital, and they said to, 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 the, stu to the students, uh, the students asked them eagerly again once more, how does the Rebbe do it? How does he climb up the mountain? It's impossible. He said, they said to him, listen to the following reason. When you walk up the mountain, you're so filled with your ego, you're so heavy, you know, you're doing it for other reasons. And when the Rebbe walks up the mountain, he imagines the ladder coming down, uh, a rope coming down from heaven. He's very light, he has no ego, he's just connected to God, and he goes one step after the other, and he comes up. In other words, <laughs> that uh, it's, we, to do the work, to become enlightened, you have to become very conscious of your uh, ego proclivities and learn to, to uh, place them aside and learn to meditate and get connected through good deeds, through prayer, through study of Torah, through loving other people, through being part of a community. Then you get connected to God. The last story is also, we'll explain to you in a minute why we're doing this story, because it has to do with, we'll soon see in the Svirot, the mind has two parts to it, the rational part of the mind and the intuitive part of the mind. We call it Chachma and Bina. And the rationalists who were opposed to the Hasidim, uh, they felt that the, especially after the 16th century, 17th century, when Shabtai Tzvi, who was a Kabbalist, uh, declared himself as a false messiah, and then he and his followers uh, converted to Islam, they said that this is very dangerous Kabbalah, and, and they rejected it. They said, we want to just stay with the rational parts of the study. So they rejected the Hasidim. The Hasidim arose because they felt that Judaism was imbalanced in the 18th century, uh, so rational, an aristocracy of the learned. And if you weren't learned, you had no value. So they said, Baal Shem Tov started the Hasidic movement. He said, God loves everyone. God loves animals, plants. God loves me, the poor, the rich. There's no distinctions. So. Um, so they, they moved their emphasis to, to joy, to, to, to prayer, to dancing. They do cartwheels in the synagogue, the spontane, spontaneity. They would come late whenever they felt like davening. So um, there was a split in the community, just as there is today, but a different split between the Hasidim and the Mitnagdim. The Mitnagdim means those who are opposed to the Hasidim. So the story is told about a malamed, that means a teacher, who used to teach Hebrew school, used to teach bar mitzvah lessons, so there was a very wealthy rationalist uh, who had a son who was, who was up for bar mitzvah, and he wanted to hire uh, the malamed. 
but he told him, told the Milaman, you could teach him everything, but don't teach him Hasidis, that, that mystical stuff. I don't want to hear any of it. Just teach him the rational stuff. So the Milaman said, of course, I'll do that. So uh, he's teaching him, he's teaching him. And then um, on the other side of so one night he has a dream. He has this, the, the Milamet has this dream that he's wandering through the streets and he's passing this large golden temple and uh, he hears coming from within the temple voices of Torah, interpretations of the Torah that are so aesthetically beautiful and moving that it's overwhelming. So he wants to run in to hear it. He goes to the, to the gate, but there's a gendarme there and he says, sorry, this place is not for you. You can't come in. So he says, please, please. He doesn't. So, but he goes back outside. He hears more of it. He says, oh, my God, I'll never forget. So then he falls asleep. And in the morning, he wakes up. And he remembers the, he remembers the, the exact layout of the castle, of the palace, and the gold. And, but he can remember the beautiful Torah that he heard, uh, that he heard coming out from someone speaking in the, in the temple. So he's kind of depressed. Uh, Shabbat came along. Uh, it was kind of a rainy day. Uh, but at the other side of town, in the Baal Shem Tov synagogue, the Baal Shem Tov, the Hasidim, have during the third meal, they, have, they tell tales and they tell Torah interpretations. So the Baal Shem Tov, instead of beginning his, his uh, oratory, he said to his shamus, his right-hand man, go, I want you to fetch me the Melamed. The shamus was puzzled because the Malamed was a, was a misnagat. He didn't like Hasidim. But if the Rebbe told him, he had to go. So he went. He went. He knocked on the door of this wealthy man's house. And he said, I've come for the Malamed. The Malamed, unknowingly, not, only, not knowing why, but he just threw on his coat and he followed him. He followed the shamus back to the synagogue of the Baal Shem Tov. As soon as they arrived, the Malamed heard from the mouth of Baal Shem Tov, the same Torah that he had heard from the palace that he had in his dream. And he was blown away. He thought this was beyond something rational. And he left the rational world and he became a Hasid. A Hasid. So here we see another way to open up to spirit, and that is if we're imbalanced and if we restrict ourselves only to the rational part of life, to limit ourselves, we, we deprive ourselves to that which is unseen. The Ein Sof, God, is the unseen. It's the mysterium tremendum. We try to t limit God and put him in our pocket. You know, and then we say, I don't believe in God because you're not, you don't have the right true God image. God is not only uh, imminent but transcendent. So, so, um, so we need the other side of the brain, the intuitive side of the brain, which many people repress, and it comes out in a dream. And he was ready to, to it, it was powerful enough. He needed it to balance, so it came out in the dream, and he, and he balanced. So, so we'll soon see, when we study the Tzvi wrote, that the Kabbalah is a system of balancing, of helping you utilize every part of the psyche, the mind, the feelings, and the actions, but in a balanced way. There are opposites that are part of our condition. The, the Kabbalistic myth is that how was, why did God create the world and how was the world created? Uh, it's kind of like the Big Bang Theory, that God expanded and withdrew part of himself from the earth so that people would have space and free will 
to, to it's like a circle with a, with a little triangle within it. That there's a space there that is the world because God removes God's presence from that. However, God then put a, a light, uh, light energy into that space, but the, and into these vessels, these uh, things called spherot, spherot. Um, there are ten of them. He placed light in them, but the light was so powerful that it shattered the vessels, and uh, the sparks from the vessels uh, went out into the, the the world, and they were covered with shards, with klipot, and um, the result of this is that this gave human beings the purpose in life to redeem the sparks. That within all of us and within life, there are sparks, but we have to uh, believe in that, and, and, and through our energies, we could raise them up. And one of the ways that the Jews do it is through the mitzvot. We'll explain that in a moment. But uh, so evil is part of the creation. Evil is the klipot, that which, which bound this, the, the light and, and the sparks and, and, and are not changeable. Evil really sticks to itself and doesn't ever grow or change. And the sparks are that which is, which is part of, of the energy of God that we have to connect to and, and uh, come about. So there are two main factors I want to teach you about in a moment. One is the spherot, and the other is the Hebrew letters, because the other myth is that God created the world through the Hebrew letters. All the Hebrew letters have energies. Um, they, have, they have sounds to them. They have shapes to them. They have meanings to the words. And they have also numerological uh, uh, aspects to them. In the Torah itself, we have allusions to it. And we're, we're going to look at all the letters and, and the spirot. Uh, we'll do exercises with them in a few minutes. But in, in, the, uh, in the Torah, there are two main dreams that the Kabbalists concentrate on a lot. One has to do with the letters. One is a dream of Jacob uh, lying on, on, the, uh, on the ground at night and taking from the stones uh, of the place and putting them around his head. And then he has a dream of him walking up and down the ladder to God. So the Kabbalists explain that the word, uh, the word for uh, stones, if we, if we read the verse, it says that stones were really the letters. They're a symbol for the letters. Everybody must get stones. No, that's Bob Dylan. <laughs> so, uh, the letters. Uh, and and the, the letters were built into houses, uh, it says, in the, in, in, when, he, when he put them together, it became a house they could rest on. And the houses are words. When you dream, your unconscious takes over the imaginative part of the self, and it could give you messages when you're ready for them to put together in a way that's coherent for you. You have to be ready for that. You have to allow, uh, rather than repress that part of the self, but allow it to happen. So the dream life is, is, big, is big with them. Another illustration of that is the, the dream of Jacob uh, crossing over the Yabok, I spoke about it this morning when he was running away from Esav. Uh, and when you run away, uh, he was running away, but he was ready for a transformation in his life. To this point, he was Jacob, the trickster. He lied, and he, he wasn't on the same level. But he had a dream where he was wrestling with an angel, 
and the, and the angel changed his name to Israel. He became, there's a destiny in a name, the Talmud says, that if you change your name, you change your destiny. That's when someone is ill, you, they call the rabbi, they say, could you change the name? Has anyone ever heard of that? They change the name. So, so they changed the name to Israel. Israel means he who struggles with God. Uh, and, and what it was was a struggle between the ego and the self and the soul. He became soulful at that point, and he became a person who became a true leader in Israel, uh, a, a man of great integrity rather than a man who's a trickster. And uh, the, the angel wounded him in his thigh, and he couldn't, he couldn't run away anymore from his duties. It, you, when we run away and we lie, it's because we're fearful. He had to have courage now and face his fears and become Israel. So this story illustrates that when we reach a certain age, or 40, there's an innate process that goes on within ourselves, if we're open to it, where we can transform in some way and shift our energies and see things or hear things that we haven't ha heard before. So uh, let's um, show you. Uh, and, and part of the way we do that is through the mitzvot. In the Kabbalah, the mitzvah is different than just doing a good deed. The word mitzvah itself actually does not mean good deed and does not mean commandment. It means to join. The root of it is joining. It's joining through the deed to God. Whatever deed you do, if you have the kavanah, the proper intent, you're, you're tapping into God. You're saying, God, you wake up in the morning, you make blessing, thank you, God, for allowing me to go to the bathroom. That's a blessing we make. We, we connect with God. We become conscious. We, we have gratitude. Every mitzvah uh, is that way. So I forgot to tell you one thing about the, about the cataclysm. I'll tell you in a moment. But before we say the, the deed, the Hasidim say this sentence. They say, L'shem yichud that with this deed, I unite the masculine part of God and the feminine part of God uh, uh, so that there should be a heavenly unity, and may that unity come down to this world. I'll explain this in a moment. Part of the, the cataclysm that happened with the klipot uh, and the, the, the breaking of the kalim of the, was a split between the masculine and the feminine. We have the same myth uh, with the destruction of the temple. The Shekhinah goes into exile, the feminine dimension of God. And, that, and all our problems today, say the Kabbalists, is because there's an imbalance. There's no integration between the masculine and the feminine. As a matter of fact, the Talmud says that the Messiah will come when women are empowered and equal again to the men. We see that uh, when, when we look at the psalm, it says, let's say on the Passover, when we read, May the mother of the children be happy. Hallelujah. So the rabbis say, why didn't we use that psalm? Aim. Aim means what? Anybody know? I see a lot of aim emote here. Aim means mother, right? Mother. Aim is mother. So they say that in order for the Messiah to come, they say if you look at all the redemptions in Jewish history, there was an aim, invo aim involved. The first one, you have... Um, Abraham and Moshe. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Aaron and Moshe, or Aaron and Miriam. Aleph, Aaron, Abraham, Aaron. Mem, Moshe, Miriam, Aim. Uh, during Purim, you have Esther and Mordechai. 
Aleph, Esther, Mem, Mordechai. And in the Messianic era, you have Elijah, Eliyahu, and Mashiach. Aim, Aleph, Mem. So we have to have the, 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 the women who have been disjointed and, 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 and disempowered as a result of this cataclysm, and they went in, that part of it is that, that the sparks and the Shechina has to be liberated and become empowered again. So therefore, whenever we do a mitzvah, it's not just a mitzvah itself, but it's a deed of unifying the separate masculine and feminine energies. Because in the Kabbalah and most mystical systems, as below, so above. What you do down here influences the upper world, and then from the upper world, it comes down to the lower world. So every time we do a mitzvah, we have the potential to impact the universe if we have the proper kavanah, the proper mindset with it. That no, Just don't do it perfunctorily, but we take a moment to pause. I'm doing this mitzvah when I'm lighting the candles. I'm doing this mitzvah not only to light the candles, but to unify the, the kuchabricho, that means the masculine dimension of God, with shchinte, and the shchina, and the feminine dimension of God. So in the Kabbalah, there's a lot of meditation that people do, and all based on creating yichudim, unifications from this split world to get back to the primal unity. Uh, but, but they say f- for sure even the splitness is important. Without the splitness, we wouldn't be able to elevate ourselves to get to the unity. Without darkness, there's no light. You need contrast. And if there was, this world was just a world of light, we would be complacent. We wouldn't be growing. This is a world of growth because we do have disparities in this world. So even the disparities are a blessing. We'll explain it to you in a moment. So should we start with the Hebrew letters or with the Svirot? Let's see. Who would like to vote? Svirot? Okay. Then we'll get to the Hebrew letters. Okay. So the Svirot, take a look at your pages. There are 10 Svirot, but one of them, Keter, is, is so high that we, we, we can't utilize it, so it's, it's a crown on the top of the head. It's also, we could see this on a human form. Uh, there are many ways to de- or, or tree to depict the spherot. You may have seen spherot in, in, your, in your perusing of intellectual spheres in the past. So there are three levels of spherot. There's the intellectual levels, the emotional levels, and the active levels. The intellectual levels is chachma, bina, and dat. The one in the, you, see, you see here, chachma, bina, chachma, bina, and we should draw a circle between right below Bina here, Dot. I see they didn't have it here. This is Dot, okay? Uh, right below Bina because, because there are two systems. Some leave out Keter and they just put in Dot and some put in Keter. I should have given you a sheet that has, has Dot. Anyway, there are three le- two levels of the brain. There's the right brain, which we call Chachma, and the left brain, which we call Bina. Chachma is the intuitive mind, the intuitive mind. Uh, it's a sudden flash of insights, as the Kabbalists. We, we just know something without going through a process of analysis. We just know it. Bina is bane, is distinction, is the rational mind, the empirical mind, the ability to make distinctions between one thing and the other. So the key is we have to integrate these two parts of the brain, and that becomes dot. That becomes the the knowledge that's able to imbibe from both parts. Have you ever heard of Chabad? Chabad, the Lubavitch's Chabad? That's Chachma, Bina, and Dat. They're the intellectual Hasidim. What's 
What? Dot. D-A-A-T. Like knowledge, yeah. So D-A apostrophe A-T. Da'at. Da'at. So, um, so the key in the Kabbalah is to be to have access to all the Svirot, but to be, have the ideal of the middle pillar to integrate both of them because, and, and to be able to utilize each of them. Now, if we only are capable of one side rather than the other, we don't get unity. If we're only intuitive, we wind up in la-la land. Some of the dreams are good, but some of the dreams are nonsense, right? The intuitive mind, it says, it's only correct 65% of the time, which is pretty good. But, but you want to get the 35% too. So you have to, but on the other hand, if you just do the rational mind, you're limited to things that you could see, and you get very tight and, and, and limited. So that also isn't the whole, whole story. So you need the capacity to do both. So what I want you to do, by the way, with all this, is to pay attention which is your strong suit and which is your weak suit? You know, and you'll make a note of that. Are you more intuitive or more rational? So most of you are both, but, but some of you are, are imbalanced in one way or the other. Then you, then you notice it, you meditate on it, and you clear that up. You work together. On the emotional level, the next three are chesed, gvura, and tiferet. So chesed is kindness. Is loving kindness, is the ability to give, to be giving. Gvura is discipline, is restriction, is judgment, is limitation, is, is boundary setting. And tiferet is the integration about the measured giving, giving just the right amount. So once more, chesed is amazing, it's a beautiful thing. But if there's no limitation around it, it could get you into trouble. Let's say even if, you, if, if you're a parent and your child wants to reach out to the fire and you say, oh, sweetie, do whatever you want. You don't know how to set any boundaries. That would not be very good, right? Uh, or, or, or you just fall in love with everyone who you see. That you know, that'd get you in trouble, right? So uh, and on the other hand, Gvura, if you're tight all the time, if you're so, you know, let's say, obsessive and you, 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 you judge everything, you're critical of everything, that certainly also is not a great trait. But on the other hand, uh, if, you're, if you're capable of both, and uh, to ferret, if you're able to do measure giving, give the, just the exact amount that's necessary in every situation, uh, and keep boundaries when necessary, and, and release when necessary, uh, that's, that's, that's really measured love, that's measured giving. That's, to ferret means beauty, it's very beautiful. It's like the artist puts the exact amount uh, in painting that makes it beautiful. Okay, uh, so uh, ne the next level is the world of action. It's Netzach, Hod, and Yesod. Netzach, Hod, and Yesod. Netzach is the active, assertive part of the self, the aggressive part of the self that's necessary. And uh, we'll soon see it's linked to all, all of these spirit are also linked to our ancestors. We'll soon see, remind me if I forget that. Hod is the receptive part of the self the receptive part, just uh, to, to take in and not to have, have to go out and do something, but it's time to quiet down and take in. And you sowed is creativity, and that is that when you put just the right amount into the world of action, we, we're, we become effective creators, etc. If Netzach, if you're aggressive all the time, 
you're not going to be successful. People, you'll alienate people, and, and you'll run over people. On the other hand, if you're just passive all the time and you don't stand up for anything, you won't get anything done. So you have to be capable. Uh, there are certain times to be aggressive, certain times to be receptive. But, and the ideal is to be able to be capable of both and be creative with your soul. Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklowitz. I hope you've been enjoying and learning something new from this podcast. If you have a moment, please consider making a contribution at www.valleybaitmidrash.org. Thank you so much, and now back to the learning. I remember what I wanted to tell you about love, just a half a second. But love, you know, let's say if your wife, if she likes roses, and you like lilacs, and you come home before Shabbat, and you bring a whole bunch of lilacs, you know, that's not very good. That's, you're fulfilling your own need, you know, but you don't really know the other and, and, and give them what they really need, you understand? So, yeah, I saw your hand up. Yeah. Okay, we'll get to colors in one second. That's a meditative scheme. But I also want to tell you now the ancestors. Each of the Svirot are connected to one of the ancestors. Chesed is Avraham, Avraham and Sarah, because Avraham was a person who would go out and, and feed people, and even when he was circumcised in, in, in pain, uh, he was depressed that he didn't have any visitors because God made it so hot so no one would bother, bother him. And when God saw he was suffering because he couldn't do what his natural proclivity of giving was, he, he sent three strangers, three Arabs or three angels to visit him, and immediately Abram and Sarah brought them food, etc., etc., because the physical pain is really secondary to spiritual pain. If you have meaning in your life and you're doing what you really want to do, you can endure pain. If that's taken away from you, uh, then, then it's even, even worse. Even a circumcision, uh, he can endure when he was able to, to give some So he was a person of chesed. He was always kind. He was always giving and helping. On the other side is gvura, right? Gvura is what? Is judgment, is fear, is, is, uh, is uh, introversion. That's Isaac, that's Yitzchak. Yitzchak entered the world uh, to bring the spiritual dimension of gvura, of carefulness, of, of setting limits in order. Why? Because he was almost killed. He was almost killed by his father. It's a dangerous world. So he had, he had to, uh, to be able to be capable of protecting himself, setting boundaries, etc. Now, this is what's very important to understand. And this is why it's a very evolved system. Because generally, when we look at, look at these opposites from the other direction, we judge them. We say, uh, oh, the loving person is so naive, he loves, loves everybody. Or, or the strict person, get a life. Well, what is, why is he squeezing life and everything? Instead of saying the positives in each, it's beautiful to be chesed. And it's beautiful to be a person who has awe, who is careful about things and wants to do the right thing all the time. Right? Rather than splitting, we split. We say, oh, the Orthodox are this way, the Reform are this way. Right? Instead of saying the beauty, the beauty of each of the sphero. So Tiferet is Jacob. Jacob, uh, and, and in other words, for Tiferet is Emet. They call that sphere also Emet. And we just said before that Jacob, though he was a liar in the beginning of his life, he became, he transformed himself into a person of, of truth, that he, he, was, he was whole, he was holistic. The next is, uh, is Netzach. Netzach is the aggressive person. That's Moshe, Moses. Moses was a leader, a tough leader. He went out, he did the are things, and he, he, uh, he uh, achieved so much in his life. Uh, the, he brought the Torah down to the people. Whereas Aaron, 
is the opposite side of Hod, the receiving one. He was second in command. He, 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 he uh, pr- helped people pray, made peace, peace between people. Um, he, um, it, says, it says that uh, he was a lover of peace, a pursuer of peace. He was so popular with the people uh, because uh, when he died, they mourned for him for 40 days. He was a man of people. He was a receptor. He received you. And, and that's, that's Aaron. And, and the, the one on the bottom is Joseph. Uh, Joseph is Esod. Joseph is, is the person, foundation, very creative. Everywhere that Joseph went, he was successful. If he went into the prison, he interpreted the dreams. If he went to the house of Pharaoh, he became the minister. He knew exactly what to do in each situation creatively to succeed. So you asked about the, uh, about the colors. So the meditative system is that people then, every day, they look, uh, if they're meditating on the spirot, they try to check out uh, where they are with each of the spirot. Do they need any balancing here, balancing there? Uh, they, they might um, meditate also on the colors, because colors have different energies that are attributed to each of the systems. Um, and some do it. Um, through sounds, there are different methods of, of meditating with the Sphero. There's also uh, another, there's a method of uh, meditating with the letters, with the, with the uh, Hebrew alphabet. Because it says in the Sefer Yitzhirah, the first book of, of Kabbalah, that God created the world through the letters and the Sphero, the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, so let's look at the letters for a moment. Turn your, turn your sheet to the letters. I see, I see how, how time has flown. It's amazing. It's already 10 to 8, but I only, only got through one, one eighth of my lecture. But, but we'll try our best. We're going to run. Oh, okay. So we're just running through now the Hebrew alphabet because this is another system of meditation. I actually do this system with the Hebrew letters when I don't go on the treadmill. I go through the whole Hebrew alphabet. It's a, I get my exercise in, and I get up to God. I get up to God. <laughs> anyway, so each of the letters have a shape. Okay, look at the shape of the Aleph. It's like a, uh, it's like a ladder and, and two Yuds, which a Yud is one of the names of God. So it's like, like the God below and the God above and the human being trying to reach to walk up. But, but um, there's a secret to the Aleph and a secret to the Bet that I should tell you about. I, I may have me- I mentioned it, uh, maybe I mentioned it this morning. I, I don't remember if I mentioned it here, but too many lectures in one day. Um, so the, the rabbis asked the question, why did God start the Bible with the bed, Bereshit, in the beginning? Why shouldn't God have started it with an Aleph, the first letter of the alphabet? So the rabbis, the Kabbalists explained that Aleph, the energy of Aleph is unity, but it's also a naive consciousness. In other words, that it's a desire to go back to the one, to the Garden of Eden, or to a place where there's no stress. I want to de-stress. But that's actually arur. Arur means a curse. This is a world of bet, of, of duality. Look at the letter bet. You see it's closed on three sides and open on the fourth side. We are here. This is not a complete world. We are here to join with God and fill in the fourth side through encountering the opposites, all these different 
different energies in this world. It's not a world of unity here. We have to create the unity. It's a journey toward wholeness. This is not a complete world. And God created it that way because bet is bracha. What's bracha? What does that mean? Blessing. It's a blessing, even though it's tough sometimes, but it's a blessing to go out and achieve and, and improve and do tikkun olam and, and acknowledge that there is good, there's evil. It was set up this way. We're to overcome evil. Uh, I'll tell you how to do that in, a, in, two, in two sentences. And, uh, and uh, yeah, so uh, because, because there's a big secret in that how to overcome evil, and that is it's, it, Rav Nachman, one of the great Hasidic masters, teaches us that one of the great teachings in the Torah, the most uh, important one, uh, is you should love your neighbor as yourself, right? There's actually discussion that there's even a greater verse than that is the creation of all humanity because it's more universal. But uh, in Genesis, so Rav Nachman says in his genius way, because the Kabbalists play around with the letters a lot, that if you look at the word re'acha, re'a, there's a resh and an ayin in there. So that also spells ra. What does ra mean? Anybody know? Evil. So he says, love the evil within yourself. Love the shadow within yourself. Meaning that if you want to obviate evil, the, the question I tell you in two minutes, I'll tell you how to do it. The secret is not to deny that which is challenging for you within and realize that that can be a blessing too if you integrate it, if you dialogue with it, rather than repressing it, denying it, and because you're ashamed of it, and therefore projecting, splitting, projecting it out onto other people, and that creates evil. The antidote to that is to hold it within, to make friends with it so it doesn't have that same power, to tame it, so to speak, and, and love all parts of yourself. Nobody's perfect. Perfection is the enemy of the good. We're just in a journey toward wholeness. We'll never, if we want to be perfect, we'll always feel guilty and ashamed, and we wouldn't even have to be here. There's no, nothing that we have to work at. We're just perfect already, right? So, uh, so he says, that love the, the shadow, uh, the word evil is too extreme, but love those parts in yourself that, that you've denied. Uh, that's the only way you're going to gain access to them and, and to deal with them, to integrate them, and not to place it out there. So for example, if you think you're, you're a tight person and you'll deny that because it'll be unconscious, you repress it, and you see another tight person and you hate that person. You know, you're really hating yourself that you're not having access to if you can make friends with it. Uh, it's, um, so we have that in the political system. Every system, evil has to do with splitting, with denying, and a lack of consciousness. The Kabbalah tries to create a consciousness. Yes? You talked about meditation. Yes. Uh, what does meditation look like in There are many forms of meditation in the Kabbalah. There's breath meditation. <clears throat> There's guided meditation. If I have time, I'll take you up to the upper worlds in a guided meditation. There's meditation on a candle, a fire. Uh, because in the fire, they say there are the four worlds because there's different colors. There, we didn't get to the four worlds, but, but so there's... And then there's mantra meditation using the Hebrew alphabet. Um, there, there's, there's Merkava meditation, meaning the chariot meditation, where people imagined that they were going on the, the story of the 
of the chariot and the lion and the um, um, Ezekiel's chariot. Um, so it depends which system you go to. Any way can be a way as long as you make it a way. In other words, all meditation is, is concentration. It's quieting down the mind from the chatter of the monkey mind. You start meditating you, on a mantra, for example, let's say Shema, Shema, Shema. And after one minute, you're already thinking about the ball game, the Dodgers win, the Red Sox win. So you have to, you have to quiet that, notice it, and come back to the mantra. Notice it. The more you meditate, the more weeks you do it in discipline, the more you'll have more meditation and less chatter. In the beginning, you'll see how powerful and how powerful the mind is always working and really taking you away from the centeredness, from a different, different part of the self that can be accessed if you, if you meditate properly. Yeah. Right Buddhist meditation? Yeah, all meditations. Yeah, all meditations have the same intent to quiet down the mind and to get to a different part of the self. So, what? Yeah, go inwards, yes. So, whether you're a Buddhist or a Hindu or a Jew or a Jubu, Buddhist, you know, those type, whatever. So, um, so okay, so we have. Yeah, there's a, the book, there's a famous book written uh, about that by Roger Kamenetz. Uh, yeah, Jew, Jew in the Lotus, yeah, where a lot of, lot of uh, Jewish leaders, like uh, I'm sure if, if Shmuley was, was old enough at that time, he would have joined them. They went, they, they visited, they visited the, the, the guru, and, uh, and, and their, their point was that Jews have the same systems within their own tradition, but they're not aware of it. And that's what the Kabbalah is. So you, we know it in Buddhism. We don't know it here. So we're trying to, t to bring it to, to the core. So the third letter is Gimel. Gimel is integration, integration of the opposites. We start off with a naive consciousness. We'll be aware of all the, all the opposites. And then we want to begin to integrate it. You have to, and that takes a lot of work. It can take a whole lifetime. But Gimel is also Gamal. Gamal means a camel. You have to endure that work, that opposites. And gimel is also gomel, uh, giving. If you do it, if you're able to stay with working to, to, to attenuate the ego and still give in spite of it, then you're, you're on a good path. Dalit is dal, which means poverty, impoverished. Dalit is the impoverishment of the ego. You worked hard. To integrate, you, you start off with, with the Aleph, the Bet, the, 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 the duality, the Gimel, the integration, and Dalit is wholeness, is the four, when we impoverish the ego. And in Christianity, three is big. In Judaism, four is big. Four is wholeness. Jung also said that what was weak in Christianity was they left out the feminine or they left out evil. And Judaism has a lot of evil uh, that it addresses you know, in its scripture, etc., um, wholeness. So dal is you worked on your ego, you impoverished it, so then you can move on to the hey. Hey is one of the names of God. You'd hey, vav, hey. So b when your ego is attenuated, you could get through that little opening on the top of the hey. You see the little opening and enter into the, the heart of God. Okay? Vav is joining. It's like a ladder, right? It's, it's Jacob's ladder up and down. It's joining the upper world to the lower world, the heaven and the earth. Zion is seven. 
the integration of the spiritual and the physical. Shabbat, right? Shabbat is, is seven. Uh, we, we, we rest and we, we integrate uh, the, the, um, the, the, the weekday in Shabbat. And <clears throat> we take in an extra soul. We, we, we rest and we, we let go of the work and all the chatter. And we say, I want to be... I want to have joy this day. I want to be with God. I want to be with my family. I want to be connected to nature. That's seven. Um, and then Chet, that's eight. That's a very special letter. Eight is the spiritual within the spiritual world. Seven is the spiritual within the physical world. But eight, if you're an eight, you're spiritual within the spiritual. There are eight, uh, the eighth day of circumcision. There are eight, eight, uh, clothing of the high priest. Uh, the Hanukkah is, is eight days. Uh, for example, uh, what's the difference between the candles of Hanukkah and the candles of Shabbat according to Jewish law? On Shabbat, you could read by the candles. You could take advantage of the candles because the seven is a spiritual within the physical world. But by Hanukkah, you're not allowed to read, you're not allowed to take any advantage of the candles. When you have the candles lit for half an hour, you're not supposed to read by them because it's eight and the eight. It's beyond, it's beyond uh, this physical world because there was a great miracle on Hanukkah. What was a miracle on Hanukkah? Uh, there are many versions, but one in Talmud says there was enough oil for one day and it lasted for eight days. So let me ask you the question because this is what Rav Desla asks. He says, so why... It, why do we celebrate the miracle of Hanukkah eight days? It should be seven days. After all, the first day they did have enough. It should be seven days. So the rabbis point out that's the difference between the Hellenists and Judaism. Hellenists say only that which, which is so per, supernatural is miraculous. But Jews say that even the natural world is miraculous. Even the, the, the oil that works is miraculous because God is within it. Everything that we see is a miracle, right? So we do it for eight days. Even the first day is a miracle. You get that? Okay. So tes, tet, tet is, is tov, is good. It's, it's right before, uh, after we got so high with the eight, we're, we're in a state of goodness. And yud is, uh, is once more another letter of God. So we're able to connect to God. Chaf is kesef. Chaf is, is money money, the material world, and um, uh, it, there's two teachings there that the Kabbalists speak about. And one, one is about security. One should find an inner security rather than uh, feeling that they have to run after money all the time to feel secure. It's the ability to, to find inner security and also to be generous with your money. That money is a gift. And it's a gift to share with others, to give to others, to have gratitude about. Okay. So Lamed, Lamed is like the body. It's straight up, right? It's like the middle pillar. And um, Lamed is the attempt to integrate all, all the, the energies uh, to, to become a Lamed, to become a person who becomes active from the middle pillar, from from Malchut, from Yisod, from Tiferet, from, from Dad, from Keter, the ability to take a check of all the energies. Am I imbalanced in this way or that way? How can I deal with it and try to come as close as you can to be? It's like the human being 
straight up, the Lamin. Mem is one of the names of God, Makom. We, it's the ability to meditate and see that God is actually in every place. Makom means a place. Uh, I didn't know that God was here. Now I see that God is here in this place. I've discovered when we're open to a place, to, when we're open to all your beautiful faces, all your energies, I see God in you. When we walk up to, to the, well, in Phoenix is my first time here, so I can't tell you which natural, natural place uh, turned me on. I saw one beautiful mountain, bear mountains. What is it called? Camelback. Yeah, Camelback Mountains. Amazing. But I just came back from Big Sur two weeks ago. That was even better. You know, it's amazing. <laughs> so anyway, but, but everything is God. God is in everything, right? That's Macomb. Nun means to fall, nafal. It's when you go down, and the letter after that is samech, to rise up. So sometimes we fall, but God will, will rise us up. So knowing, know that even falling, we'll soon see, we may not have time to do it, but in the Kabbalah, it explains why we have evil in the world, why we fall, why, why we have darkness. It's the only way that we truly grow, says the Kabbalah. Uh, to, to confront something that is a challenge to us, it demands more energy, and it moves us to, to another place. So there needs to be a fall and a fall for a samech to happen. Then the next is ayin. Ayin is the eye. The teaching, the meditation on ayin is God gave us two eyes, say rabbis. One, a strong eye to see all the beautiful things in life and a weak eye to overlook all the negative things in life. In other words. So it's a way of seeing that savor panam yafot, be be meritorious to people. See the good in people. Don't keep judging. Quiet down that judge, that gvura judge, and come to the ayin and say, I see. And what, what, what do we want to get with the seeing? We want to get to the state of hearing, too. Hearing as if we're seeing in a way that we really see that we even hear the person, right? But ayin means try to think positive. Think positive. And, and try to recognize when you're not, when that chatter is coming on with the left side, when the gvura say, hi, I see you're here. Get out of here now. You don't interest me. You know? Okay. Pay is, pe, is expression. The power of words, the, that the human being was created as an expressive being. If there's no one to listen to us, we're depressed, we're lonely. It says, uh, when God created the human being in, in Bereshit, it says, and God breathed into the human being through the, through the nostrils, the spirit of life. That's why when, when someone sneezes, we say some gazun to life, because the life goes out of you. But, um, but so, so the, the Targum Uncle says, what is the spirit of life? He says, ruach demalala, the power of speech, the power of expression, that fundamentally we all want to say something in this world. We all want to be significant. We want to express ourselves. So that's the pay. You think about the pay. Tzadik, okay, tzadik is a real heavy one. I always get stuck on the tzadik. Because tzadik, it says, to be a true tzadik is to have faith in God and have equanimity even through hard times. That's what a tzadik is. You can be a tzadik when everything is going well. But can you be a tzadik when things aren't going as well? That defines you. So I know when things aren't going well, I'm sometimes not happy. So I have to check myself. I said, Tzadik, you know, you, you got it. You can, you can do it, right? Kuf is, a, kuf is, is kuf and resh are, are letters from the upper world. Kuf means calling out. Resh means rosh. And, 
and I, I'm running through it now because the time is up. And Shin is a very great letter. Shin is Shlomit, is wholeness. There's a three-letter Shin and a four-letter Shin. Shin is an amazing letter because Shin means Shalom, wholeness. And it also means hello. It also means goodbye because only if you're whole will you be open to people and say hello truly. Only if you're whole will you be able to individuate and separate from people rather than feel enmeshed, right? So Shin is a very holy letter to meditate on if you want to get to wholeness and individuation and, and truly being able to say hello and say goodbye. Amet, the last letter is tough. It's Amet. It's a letter of Amet, of truth. And let's look at this letter, this word, Amet, truth. Uh, tough is a symbol of that. Amet carries the first letter of the alphabet and the last letter of the alphabet and the middle letter of the alphabet. To gain to truth, truth, we have to see things from a larger perspective. What is the word for falsehood in Judaism? Sheker, sheker. Sheker, one letter follows the other. Kufshin reshit, three letters juxtaposed, seeing from a limited perspective. That always leads to falsehood. You're not seeing the whole picture. So we bless ourselves when we, we meditate on the tough. May I see the whole picture? If I'm angry at someone, let me see, well, let me get to the root of it. What, what was it that may have caused it? Oh, oh, I barked at him the wrong way the other day or whatever. And that means to look from a larger perspective. Uh, we always have to try to do a check-in when we get to Emet. It tells the story of the copper serpent I mentioned this morning about, about when the Jews in the desert, when they sinned, and uh, God released these uh, serpents to, to bite them, and they came to Moses, please save us, what, what should we do? And, and Moses called out to God, and God said, make a copper serpent, put it on this pole, and let the people stare at it, and they will be healed. What does that remind you of? Okay. Firstly, it reminds me of, of homeopath, homeopathy, right? Tracing the symptom to its root. Looking back to the past, what caused it? You have to get into that in order to heal it, or else you just replace one symptom with another. You know? So the Torah says that, uh, that we, have to, we have to reflect. We have to go inward. We have to do a little thinking uh, about, about this. So... Um, I'm, I'm so sad that we can't get to, to more. Yeah, so I should open up for questions. That's yeah, the best okay. thing. So we have yeah. a little over 20 minutes. Yeah. Some, okay, uh, some questions. questions. Yeah. Okay. There were two people who were the same time. So maybe, maybe ladies, we want to integrate the Shekhinah, the feminine, to bring the Messiah. Okay. Yes, that's right. Those rabbis, they did a lot of things. So we got to, okay. Okay, what's the question? Yes. So uh, there are different streams of interpretation, but this is very important. I'm glad you asked that, because numerology is a, is a modern thing that some people make fun of, because you could twist any letters and, and come out that way. In the Kabbalah, there was a tradition of specific definitions for certain words and for certain numbers. It didn't just come out of, out of their heads and making it up, although you could, it might appear that way. But they had a tradition that Tuf was related to Emet, Shin was related to Shalom, and, and, and they, they meditated on these things because they were psychological concepts that helped people grow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Why would Yitzchak be connected with the Burah? 
He was practically, he was a transitory character. He was practically agoraphobic. Yeah. He, he's the only one who can travel. Yeah, so the, the answer is the following. Uh, he was blinded, he was introverted. He didn't have that capacity to go out to do chesed. And yeah, and he, he was traumatized. And his, his way of honoring God, therefore, was to be careful, because you, you could get traumatized in this world. You know, the world is not a safe place. So I want to create boundaries to make sure it's safe and protect, protect myself, protect others. So um, that's the way I see it. So he, he, was, he was also critical and judgmental of the world, because the world didn't treat him in a way that a rational mind would expect, a father wanting to kill him uh, you know, uh, at that point in time. So um, play with it and see, and you'll discover what you think the Gimel, uh, what, what, what Gvura is. Gvura is not, it's most people disc Gvura, you know, because they think, uh, especially if they look at the Haredi community, because well, they're, they're playing and they're crying out to God, God, don't do this to me, I'm, I, I sinned, but I'm sorry. You know, it has to do with, with uh, an intense discipline and, and, and not wanting to deviate and being within a boundary. Creating a shell. Yeah, creating a shell. And so he was in a shell in his life, uh, Yitzchak. Yes? Going back to the letters, you mentioned the four-pronged shin. Yes. I don't hear what you have to say about that. Well, there's a three and a four-pronged shin. Um, um, uh, it has to, had to do with the way they, they write the letters and, and, and the Torah, and you, you see it on tefillin. Um, but uh, the way I see it Kabbalistically is it, it integrates both the magic of four and the magic of three. Uh, like four, four is wholeness, you know, and that's very akin to the Shalom. Probably should be a four letter. But, they, but also at times the integration uh, does the trick, you know, and um, it's, a, it's a bringing together of the opposites, you know, so, which the Shin does. Patriarchs, yeah. matriarchs. Patriarchs, matriarchs, right. There are a lot of things, yeah. Yes? How is this to the young man learned? Okay, well, um, so I didn't get to, to all that. I, you, you'll see, you'll see on your on the sheets. Uh, I explained to you that because it might be too too long to to tell you here. Firstly, seeing um, Jung, he studied um, uh, many different traditions. He loved the tradition of the East and the West. He studied alchemy, but he also s discovered Kabbalah. And uh, because through the, through, through the European masters, and then he came upon the Hasidic masters. If you look on, in one of his books, uh, uh, Jung's book, it's called, uh, uh, it's, he has in a footnote on the bottom, uh, it's, uh, I always show it to people, they're, they're amazed that all that I've learned, uh, the, the Maggot of Meserich has already written about. He was, he was, acquainted with Hasidus and Kabbalah. So, uh, and he found a lot of the concepts similar. This whole notion of the opposites coming together, that's very Jungian. The whole notion of, of, of uh, uh, wrecking and repair, uh, that you have to have a dismemberment of the psyche, of the ego, in order to, to repair it in a way where the soul is manifest. Um, he was very aware of the feminine and the masculine. And here we have the myth of the Shekhinah, of the feminine being separated. And how could he, 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 he that was important to him because he felt that in Christianity, the, the feminine wasn't, wasn't honored. 
uh, it through his history with his father, was a pastor, etc., and it was the old-time religion, and, and he, he discovered the beauty of the feminine, and he wanted it to be, to be honored. But there are quite a few things here. Uh, for, we didn't get to the concept of tzimtzum, that God, God um, uh, diminished himself or herself for the sake of the world. So, so Jung speaks about the diminishment of the ego. We have to, we have to be mitzamtzim, our ego, in order for the soul to be born. There are quite a few concepts. I have them down in, in the notes. You might see some. Yeah. Yes? We talk a lot religiously about actions, faith, speech. So on this topic of consciousness, what are some practical experiments we might all try in our daily life? Not in meditation, but just in our daily life, driving our car, walking, okay. of where we might root our consciousness. Okay. Of so, what oceans we might immerse into um, with, uh, with that psychic capacity. Okay. So the, 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 one of the ways to do that is through the mitzvah itself, that to have the proper kavanah uh, to do the shem yichud kuchabrihu shchinte, you know, you do that when you put on your tefillin. Do you do that? You that paragraph with every mitzvah. That the Baal Shem Tov did it with every mitzvah. He said even shem yichud when he did v'haftarecha kamocha. So because it focuses you, it's said in two ways. One, it says that the power of my mind is equal to the power of my actions. That my mind, my temperament, can impact the universe. If I smile at you. I'm, I'm connecting to you. What is prayer to begin with, for example? Prayer doesn't change the mind of God. God doesn't change. To, uh, uh, I want the Dodgers to win. You want the Red Sox to win. Let's pray and see who will do it. No. Prayer is the exercise of elevating yourself uh, through the connection to God at that moment to, to make yourself more than when you enter the prayer. And if you, and since we're all interconnected, if you grew you are already impacting the person next to you who's imbibing your energy. So prayer is effective, but not in the old way of thinking of it. It's the growth. So the kavanah, the, 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 the Kabbalists are different than, than modern Orthodox. The modern Orthodox say there's a hierarchy of mitzvot. Doing tzedakah takes precedence over uh, washing your hands in the morning. The Kabbalists say, no, every mitzvah has power because you're creating yichudim. You're creating the attempt to unify the masculine and the feminine through the deed. Uh, and that's registering in the heavenly world, which comes down then to this world. The heavenly world is dependent on your actions here. So the consciousness means that every step you take, anything that you do, you can impact the universe. So it's a very powerful concept. And it could be megalomania, like Shabtai Tzvi. He, he, he thought he was God. So we have to temper it with the other side of, of the, of the uh, Tzvi wrote to make sure we're in balance. But I don't know if I'm answering your question well enough. It's a ma matter of, of covenant consciousness to every deed we do makes every deed important. Yeah. yeah. Yes? Take us in a different direction yes. now on colors. Yes. Chakras, meditating, right. seeing the colors. Does that relate to this and how? Yes. Uh, the, if if I, I had time, uh, we'd see that with every, every sphira, there, not only, there are colors, there, there's also smells you could do. Let, let me just, just tell you something important that's very beautiful. I always found this very beautiful in terms of good and evil. 
In the holy temple, there were different sacrifices. One sacrifice was the spices, the incense, the ketoret. And they did that before every service. And they cleaned it out during the day, and they did it again. And in those nine spices, there were nine beautifully, eight beautiful smelling spices. And one was called chelbana, which was a putrid smell. And it was included in the spices. And the Kabbalists explain why. Because if you have only white, only good, something is missing. You have to be able to accept difference and include difference uh, in order for wholeness to occur. Because you grow through that. It's the same thing it says in the Mishnah. Any minion of quorum of 10 that doesn't have a sinner in it is not an effective minion. You know? uh, so we're doing good. We're all, we're all sinners, right? <clears throat> but you see how the Kabbalah works with the acknowledgement, not the denial, that evil exists in the world. But there's <clears throat> the only way you overcome it is not by denying it, but, but facing it directly. Uh, did I, so I didn't completely answer your question, because <clears throat> we'd have to sit down and have to show it to you. Just a comment that Leonard Cohen in one of his songs yeah. mentions the light coming from the uh, vessel. Right. <clears throat> Leonard Cohen was a good Jew. We had him. Uh, at my university, Academy for Jewish Religion in California, we had a whole, we had him, <clears throat> we had a memorial service for him. We sang his songs, and he had songs about the Akeda, the sacrifice of Isaac, and a lot of things. Yeah, thank you. Baruch Shakalim Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklewitz. I hope you enjoyed listening to this fascinating lecture. At VBM, we strive to bring you only the best in Jewish educational programming. To do this, we host a wide variety of events throughout our learning season, including panels, classes, and lectures, like the one you just listened to. Please consider going to www.valleybetemidrash.org and donating to VBM to support meaningful Jewish education in the greater Phoenix Jewish community, indeed all around the country and the world. Thank you so much for listening.